I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. So, friends and family out there listening to the First Gen Lounge, welcome today. I have a treat for you. I have Christopher Wallace with me, and not that one. I mean, he couldn't be here anyway, <laughs> but I am excited. You get that sometimes, look, but, uh, yeah, but, that's the, the but you're still great. <laughs> But you are still, you are still great. Okay. You're notorious, literally, because you are tearing it up out there. Um, the uh, first time. Uh, and that, another one. Hey, uh, go ahead. Go ahead and spit something for us. Look. Um, nah, see, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. I'm going to leave it alone. I am glad to have you here. <laughs> my fellow North Carolinian and HBCU graduate. I never tell the story of people. I, I, I tried to stop doing it because nothing is like telling your own story. So let's get the party started. Tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. What's your story? Hey, you know, well, I first and foremost want to thank you for having me on the First Gen Lounge uh, this evening. So my name is Chris Wallace. I have founded the motivational speaking, inspirational speaking platform, Chris Inspires You. Uh, I'm just a kid from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I grew up in Fayetteville's poorest community in the 13th poorest in the state of North Carolina in a single parent home with my father, who at the time was abusing drugs and alcohol. And this was at the height of the crack cocaine epidemic in Fayetteville. And so it was a very, very challenging upbringing, but I was able to overcome that adversity through having a really strong and unique support system and having an opportunity to have that support system and seeing the things that they did um, allowed me an opportunity to devote my life to service and ensuring that other people uh, became the best versions of themselves through their commitment and dedication to serving others. And so it's been a really unique upbringing for me. It's been a really unique journey for me. And this journey isn't over and it's it's really just beginning. And, and I'm really grateful and humbled by this journey and all of the things that, I, that I've learned and the things that I'm learning and the things that I'm teaching others. Absolutely. So, you know, you've talked about the journey a bit and how yours is special that you had a single parent home, one that you had your father um, and not your mother. I thought that was really interesting yeah, that you brought that up. Because I'd like to know a little bit about that, especially as you went to school and you've gotten two degrees and a certificate. What has not having your, your mom present, what has that done to you or for you? It's been, you know, again, it, there, there have been times where it's been really challenging, really difficult. I remember, if you will, you know, allow me to share this. Hopefully this isn't too long winded for you. But, you know, I want to share the story. Take but your time. Take being, your time. You know, being being, you know, eight, nine, ten years old and being over at my grandmother's. And I would you know ask about my mother all the time. And, you know, no one really knew of anything. But my mother dropped me off at my grandmother's house when I was six months old. She said she had a doctor's appointment. She never returned. 
you know, and, mm. and I didn't meet my mother formally until I was 16. And I'll never forget the day that I met her. But you know, I'll get to that in a second. But when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, I would go through the phone book. You know, when they used to have these big old phone books. Remember phone books? I remember, remember phone books. <laughs> I remember phone books. <laughs> and so, yeah, man, listen, I used to sift through that phone book and I would find everyone that had my mother's name. And the, the funny thing is, I didn't realize that the phone book went by last name. So I'm sitting here looking for all of these people with my mother's first name in the phone book. She had a really unique name. So there weren't mm-hmm. a lot of people with her name in the phone book. So I'd call these numbers and I'd ask them, the, the people who picked up, if they picked up, you know, did you did you marry a man named such and such? And are you from such and such? And I would get cussed out. I'd get hung up on, you know, I'd get fussed at. My grandmother's phone bill would get, you know, uh, you know, run up and, and those sorts of things. And she'd come and ask, who's been making all these calls on my my phone and you know my mouth was shut i was like i ain't <laughs> telling grandma i was doing this you know and she had that old rotary phone and so i mean i literally spent half a day going through the phone book and and, and calling all of these people but it was really it was it was depressing at times because no one knew any information about my mother at least that's what they presented to me and you know for my dad using drugs and alcohol as heavily as he did and being a single black man in the hood, you know, that that, that just you know, presented a, a myriad of challenges in and of itself. And so it was always a little bit awkward because I looked at all of my friends and a lot of them didn't have their father in their home, but they had their moms there and they had a unique relationship with their mother. And so, you know, there was a at times a bit of jealousy, you know, so to speak, you know, with mm-hmm. with not having a relationship with my mother. And, you know, my friends would ask me, you know, where's your mom? And, and I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess she's dead. I mean, I, I didn't know. No one told me anything. And the day she showed up at my house, uh, we were staying on Turnpike Road in Fayetteville, this old raggedy house. I remember I had just gotten out of the shower and I went to my room. I saw a car pull into the little dirt driveway. And I said, Dad, somebody's out there for you. You know, and Dad goes to the door. And then all of a sudden he comes and knocks on my door. He was like, they're here for you. You know, and he says it like in a grumpy voice. And I'm like, whoa, no, what was that about? And so you know, an older lady walks in and she says, hello, Christopher. And she reaches out, and she hugs me. And I'm thinking like, who am I hugging? And then the younger lady walks in and she just bursts into tears, you know? And like, when we made eye contact with one another, I knew exactly who she was, you oh, know? Man. And we just embraced, yeah, we, we just embraced. And we were just holding each other. And I remember looking over her shoulder as I was hugging her and I looked at my dad and he, he was sitting in a chair in the living room with his hands on his head, you know, just sort of like this depressed look. And so it was it was a very awkward moment. I didn't really know how to feel in that moment, but it's something that uh, is one of the moments that stands out in my life as, as one of the most important moments because I had an opportunity to finally meet my mother after all of these years of looking for her. But I've also discovered after meeting my mother, I discovered this newfound love and respect and appreciation for my father and the things hmm. that he had to go through in raising me through, I mean, you know, e, we moved, gosh, I mean, we probably stayed in eight or nine houses over a 15 year period. I mean, we were always getting evicted. You know, and I didn't mm-hmm. know that we were being evicted at the time. I mean, I didn't know what that was. Dad would just say, we're moving, you know, and he said, you know, pack your stuff, you know, and we pack our stuff and we move here. And then there were times where I had to go live with my grandmother. And there were times where, you know, when I was living with my grandmother, my dad, I don't know where he was living, you know, and then there were times where he was living in this little motel, you know, this little raggedy motel off 301 in Fayetteville across from the, the Crown College 
Coliseum. Uh, it was it was crazy. And then I remember times we were sleeping on people's couches, uh, you know, women that he dated or whatnot. And so it was uh, it was very challenging. It was very interesting, and uh, it, it was it was humbling. I'll never forget anything about my upbringing and the challenges that we experienced together, and and you know all of the stuff that we had to go through, and the, the roaches in the house, and the no air in the summer, and the no heat in the winter, and having to turn the oven on and open it up, you know, to heat the home or have that kerosene heater. I don't know if you know about that kerosene heater, but you I know about it. Some kerosene. Listen, man, you go to school, you smell like you about to light the whole school on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you know it was crazy. And and have you ever had a wish sandwich? Oh yeah, I've had one. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Like, we got to tell the viewers. You talking about sandwich sandwiches? Yeah, those two pieces of bread, and you wish something was in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that that was that was life. Like it, it was it was crazy. But you know, when you look back, you know, when I look back now, I look at that and I'm like, man, you know what? Those were the lessons. You know, those were the things that, you know, that those things didn't define me. They've never defined me as a person. They prepared me for my life's work, you know, and so I appreciate having gone through that. I, I've never you know, in my adult life said I hated going through that stuff. Mm. That's interesting that you said that, that you've never hated going through that stuff, because sometimes there are feelings of resentment for the things that happen. So I like how you've taken that that negativity that that could have been and made it something positive. What would you say in in all these things has helped you to be successful thus far, especially as a first generation college graduate who came from such a, a dysfunctional background? Oh, man. Uh, gosh, listen, I, I've had the opportunity to, to to be connected to some really great people in my life. You know, first and foremost, my father, of course, who even through his substance abuse, I, I I have no idea. Like it, being a father now and realizing how hard it is <laughs> to be a father, even with both parents in the home, I don't know how my father raised me as a single black man. You know, saying for for most of that period of time while using drugs and while drinking so much. I mean, I saw him doing these things a lot of times, you know, and he'd be like, get out, this is grown folk business, you know, that kind of stuff or whatever. But he, my dad was never really mean to me. He he was still, he was, man, that dude was a great father. He's, that's that's my ace, man. Like I, I am forever in debt to that man for everything that he sacrificed to ensure that, to ensure that I had a future, you know, but it was, you know, I, again, dad, my grandmother, uh, who, you know, who passed in 2010, you know, and, and my grandmother would always tell me, she said, you know, from the time you were little, I knew you were going to be great at something. I know you're going to be great at it. You know, you just keep pushing yourself. You keep working hard and you treat people with respect. And those were the things that my grandmother used to say to me. And we, you know, we had a, a fantastic relationship and then it got shaky when I was in high school because she was getting sick and I didn't understand that she was getting sick and how she was getting sick. And so, uh, you know, my grandmother was really, real key figure in my life. I have aunts, my mom, Angela, and my uncle Ruben, who both attended North Carolina A&T State University and helped to encourage me and spark my desire 
to attend an HBCU, mm. you know, much less North Carolina A&T. And so, you know, those individuals and my youth league baseball coach, Coach Blue, I started playing baseball when I was 10. And I remember my dad looking at me. He said, you know, you know, black boys don't really play baseball, son. And, and baseball is a thinking man's game. You sure you ready for this? And, mm. I, you know, I thought to myself, dad is openly, uh, he's openly challenging me. And so I said, you know, I'm going to prove to him that I'm capable of playing baseball. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize is that Coach Blue was more than just a baseball coach. Like this man, he's a retired military vet. Uh, he had a wooden leg. He had this non-traditional fro, hmm. tinted glasses, had a crease in his pants, always wore a belt. And a lot of times, <laughs> he took that belt off during baseball. Oh. You know where this is going. <laughs> yep. But uh, listen, I remember that first day of practice, he came out on that field. He had this blue and white pickup truck. And he pulled up and he was like, Everybody to the middle of the field. First things first, I'm going to teach you how to play baseball. But the most important thing is I'm going to teach you how to be better men. And so we all looking at each other like, man, please. You know what I'm saying? We kids from the hood. And here's another cat coming in the hood thinking that he's going to rescue the hood and all this other stuff. But over those three years that I played for Coach Blue, I learned so much from just watching him. Like just watching him coach us, just watching him pick us up, just watching him ask us for our report cards and sitting us down if we didn't do well in school or if he got a report from one of our teachers or a parent that we weren't doing well in school. He was like, you're not playing today. It's saying because you're playing in the classroom and that's not where you should be playing at. So he always kept us in check and he would just have these, you know, little moments with us where he would just, you know, sort of throw us little tidbits of advice. Man, I will never forget Coach Blue and the things that he, he did for us. And, you know, every opportunity that I that that I have to honor Coach Blue and share a story about Coach Blue while I'm speaking to young people, I do. And um, you know, he passed last year and, and we celebrated his life and I you know, I remember going to the funeral with some of my old baseball teammates and man, we just had a really great time talking about what Coach Blue taught us as young men, as young black men, you know, and, and what you know, the things that he shared with us, you know, we're looking now, we're like, wow, you know, Coach Blue told us that these things would happen. He told us how challenging it would be to navigate this world as a young black man who's gifted, you know, and who's talented and who has the ability to do the things that we wanted to do. So Coach Blue, Mr. Shipman, Coach Abraham Washington, my youth league football coach, Miss Jesse, Miss Jones, Miss McCahan, Mr. Pete, you know, mm. and, and Tanya. You know, and then my boys, Sean, Vaughn, Lamont, Emil, Darcel, and, and Darnell, you know, we, we fought all the time, but we also encouraged each other. We talked about, we get older, man, we're not going to live in the hood, and we're going to raise kids, and they're going to be in a better place, and, you know, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And so I remember everything, and I remember how everything made me feel, and I'll mm. never forget those individuals who pushed me and who challenged me to become the best version of myself. And, you know, Miss McCahan, Mr. Pete, you know, saying, boy, you're going to get up and you're going to go to church today. <laughs> you know, and, you know, as a 10 and 12 year old, you ain't always want to go to church because you're like, man, service starts at 11 and then the black church is supposed to end at one. That church service might end at 2.15 p.m. or later, you know, and it's hot, you know, and football is on. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of things. Yeah, it was, it, it, you know, the upbringing presented 
it's appropriate challenges, you know, and again, I look back and I know that the things that I went through, the bullying, you know, the fighting, the poverty, the, the, you know, all of the crazy stuff, the school social workers asking me these, you know, random questions, you know, trying to, you know, dig and see if I'm being treated properly at home. All of that stuff, again, it, it, it never defined me. It prepared me for what I'm doing today and what I'm going to be doing moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing today because you are an inspirational speaker. And I noticed that you chose inspirational over motivational, which is really interesting because I too choose inspirational over motivational. Can you tell us a little bit even about why you chose that? And again, leading us into what you're doing now, because I do know you work with youth but you are doing your thing with the youth. Like <laughs> I've been watching. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I think when you're a motivational speaker, think about it like this real leaders or, or stronger, the strongest leaders, I shouldn't say real leaders, but the strongest leaders are not motivating people to perform a certain task. They're inspiring people to become mm-hmm. the best version of themselves. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, you know, I've listened to a lot of speakers and, and you know, and, and particularly those who, who call themselves motivational speakers. And again, you know, do your thing. You know, if you're a motivational speaker, you're an inspirational speaker, whatever it is, you know, but my aim is to inspire people to become the best versions of themselves, not necessarily through the things that I say, but if they are able to retain anything that I say and it sparks them and encourages them to do something great, to pursue a dream that they've been holding on to, mm-hmm. uh, those sorts of things, you know, I really want to push them and challenge them to become the best version of themselves through their own commitment and dedication to the things that they want to do. And I think a lot of times, you know, you have you know, people, you know, particularly young people, you know, they talk about, you know, Dr. Eve, they say, oh, I don't have this and I don't have that. And I'm waiting for the right time. And this idea of patiently waiting for something to happen is something that, you know, quite frankly, is annoying, you know, because what are you waiting for? You know, are you waiting for someone you know, to place it in your lap? You know, are you waiting for someone to hand it to you? Are you waiting? Like, what are you waiting for? If it's something that you can control, go for it and go get it. Go chase mm-hmm. your success now. You know, don't mm-hmm. hold on to it. Don't say you'll do it later because, you know, later sometimes becomes never. And once you've gotten to never, you failed yourself. And what you don't want to do is look back 20 years from now and be more upset at the things that you did not do. And so, you know, you got to go and pursue that greatness now. And with my inspirational speaking platform, Chris Inspires You, that's what it is. So it started like this. I've been speaking for a number of years, you know, to young people. You know, I just you know, just kind of pop up, you speak at a school, I pop up, speak to a youth group because people ask, you know, hey, can you come speak to this youth group? Sure, why not? I'll do it. But I had an article published on the front page of the Fayetteville Observer on April the 30th, 2016, when a news reporter wanted to cover my service in the community and my work uh, with youth. Mm -hmm. And so during the interview process, we started talking about a lot of stuff. You know, we started talking about my upbringing. We started talking about my dad. And so he sort of took a different angle with this story, with the conversation that we had. We just kind of had some small talk. And and so he just pulled out his recorder, put out his pen in his pad, and he started writing some stuff down. And so he started asking me more questions about my upbringing and connection to service and why I work with youth and why I'm so tough, you know, with working with youth and why these kids love you so much, you know, even though you challenge them, the way that you challenge them, that sort of thing. And so after that article was published, 
on April 30th, 2016. The very, maybe a day or two later, I had received so many emails, so many messages from people with regard to that story and people mm -hmm. asking to speak and they're saying you should write a book and they're saying, you know, you need to, to really share your story with these people here and here and here and here and here. And I was reluctant at first. And, and then I said, you know, God, lead my step you know and and if this is what i'm supposed to do please please guide my steps and, and lead me in, in the right direction and and god will always lead you in the right direction you know in my opinion and so you know from that point i started speaking more and it, you know i started to develop the website and i started to you know build this team of uh, you know mentors that that I call you know and and you know lean on for advice and and uh, help me with some marketing stuff and and help me to prepare and you know all of these different things and so uh, Chris inspires you is really 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 uh, a massive success at this particular point in time and 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 I love it I love showing up at a middle school or a high school or you know an undergraduate school and speaking to young people you know and and pushing them to pursue their goals their dreams and their desires and encouraging them you know to find who they are as individuals and what they want and what they desire and what they suck at because we all suck at something you know and and being able to put all of their energy effort and attention into the things that they really want out of life you know i think mm -hmm. oftentimes we we waste time you know, with things that we shouldn't waste time on. You know, we're wondering what people think about our ideas when they're our ideas. Yes, mm -hmm. we should wonder what we think about our own ideas. And you know, the truth is a lot of people really don't become the individuals that they want to become because they're waiting on someone else's opinion or they're mm -hmm. so used to how things have always been. And I refuse, and I say that with emphasis, I refuse to allow someone else's opinion you know, or to allow my upbringing or, you know, how things have been with people in the communities that I grew up in and those sorts of things that will not stop me from pursuing the things that I want out of life. You know, I know that people are watching. Right. You know, I know oh, that yeah. my sons are watching. I know that these young people that I work with are watching. I know that these young people that I speak to are watching. I want to push myself as hard as I can, as much as I can. Hmm. I can feel that because you know that somebody is watching and you know it came up in, an, in another interview and it's something that I've even said in my own interviews but I, I hear it commonly said with all of us that we have to be who we needed and so I'm hearing yep. that same thing with you is about being who you needed and it's not always that it's people that are coming after you but sometimes it's people who've gone before you who just need to be reminded themselves mm -hmm. that, that they've got to go forward and do something man yes yeah, so so rich of a story that you have and so proud of of you sir for being able to overcome that adversity because you know I, I love a good story about overcoming adversity and to even hear that you are now thriving in what you're doing and i mean i see it in in what you post and just kind of keeping up with your work and it's it's exciting for me 
and that evening to work with you because some of us tend to skip and want to go straight to colleges and universities. Um, I have a greater affection for that time of my life and wanting to help people. So that's why I go there, but that you start younger because you understand that there's a little bit more that can be done or start earlier to reach these 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 minds, to reach the future, to plant mm-hmm. those seeds. We're at a point of, of coming to a wrap up um, in this conversation. And I don't want to (laughs) so soon. You just don't think. And it's like, oh, gosh, you know, we never go on. We could we could probably talk for hours and hours. I'm sure we could, because it is just so much that, you know, I'm I'm thinking of like, man, gosh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you experienced that. Um, But then to see you thriving because you are you're married because you are a husband, because you are an educator, because you are an inspirational speaker. I love inspirational speaker because, you know, I'm here to reach your soul. I want to touch your heart. I don't just want to tell you what to do. I want you to feel it and then go do it. So I I think there's some, some great emphasis on that. And I love that you stay true to that, but thinking of, of where you are thinking of all you've overcome, thinking of all that you are doing, what do you tell someone, another first-generation college graduate who is probably right now uninspired, somebody who is challenged in seemingly every aspect of their life, uh, what do you tell that person to help them get through what they're going through? Because somebody is listening to this that needs to hear it right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, there, there's, there's a lot, you know, that I would share with them. But I think the first thing that, that I would, you know, really encourage people to do is, is really, again, examine, you know, who they are as an individual, you know, identify the things that move them, that motivate them as, as individuals. And sometimes that's really difficult to do. So mm-hmm. when that's difficult to do, you have to take the next step, which is taking time to examine your social circles yes, and, and, and having a very, very, very sharp pair of scissors and beginning to cut things or, mm. or individuals out of that circle who are sucking the life out of you. you. You can no longer allow people to take up time, energy, and space or things to take up time, energy, and space that belongs to someone or something else. And so once you're able to do those things, your picture becomes a little bit clearer and it's still a little, a little bit difficult at times, but I think what happens is you know, we're, we're sort of locked into this theory that, you know, uh, this theory that you have something to lose by cutting folks off or by trying something new or by having this unique way of thinking. Um, you know, all of that is really just a delusion which limits your potential as an individual. And so, you know, you want to be sure you are, again, identifying the things that you like, identifying who's in your social circle, identifying who or what needs to be cut out of that social circle, you know, and then understanding that it's okay to be a little bit different. It's okay to walk part of your journey alone and to feel awkward and to feel embarrassed and those sorts of things. I mean, you're going to face adversity throughout your life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and look at it like this. So you see an athlete who wins the championship, right? And they're hugging the trophy and they're kissing the trophy and they're sweating all on it. And you're thinking, man, they kissing that trophy to everybody that put their hands on. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. <laughs> but what I look at in those moments is this. Everyone sees, you know, when when LeBron James you know, won his first title with the Miami Heat in uh, 20, 2012, when they beat OKC, and he's hugging his trophy, he's crying and all of these things. What he's seeing in that moment, what he's thinking about in that moment is like, I finally got one, right? He won that Mm -hmm. championship. 
But the other part of that is he's remembering the journey. He's remembering just how hard it was to get to that point, just Mm -hmm. how much his opponents challenged him to get to that point, just how hard he had to work back in his lab. You know, so when he had to go run those, you know, wind sprints and lift those weights and uh, be mentally prepared to handle the type of adversity that he was going to face, you gain so much more perspective from losing than you ever will in winning. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, winning and greatness is an unstoppable force. Once you taste winning, once you taste greatness, you want it more and more and more and more. But until you get to that point, you you will lose, you will face some adversity, but you have to be able to fall in love with the process and the development you know, and those things and take those losses you know, and allow yourself to build upon those things. Mm. So it's all a process. It's, it's, uh, there, there's a beauty in the struggle that you have to see, you have to feel, that you have to, to embrace, you have to taste it, you know, you have to understand those things. It's okay to lose and to feel lonely and awkward and all those sorts of things at times. You don't accept it. You say you don't just rest on it. You just don't say, okay, well, I lost. I'm just going to sit on my behind and just kind of let things go as they as they may. No, you come back even stronger the next time and push yourself even harder than you've you've ever pushed yourself. And, you know, and I know I'm a little long with it. I'm sorry, but let me say this and I'll close it out. I promise there are times you know, as individuals where we're so tired, right? We're fatigued. Our minds are not right. Um, you know, our, you know, we, we just aren't here all the time, you know, and in those moments, you just have to keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself and pushing yourself until you get to your breaking point. And then once you've gotten to your breaking point, you have to push yourself even harder and you force your mind and your body into an adaptation response, meaning you no longer have a breaking point and you've trained your mind to overcome those things. You've trained your mind to have this winning mentality in doing the things at times that you don't want to do when you don't want to do them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to get up at six o'clock in the morning you know, to get ready for work or school or whatever. Get up anyway. You don't want to wash the dishes and cut the grass and do the things, the chores that your parents, your grandparents have asked you to do. Get up and do it anyway. You don't want to go to the gym on a Tuesday evening because it's 20 degrees outside, but you've committed yourself to losing weight or getting your summer body ready and all those sorts of things. Get up and do it anyway. Create the winning mentality for yourself. Mm, That's a message in itself. I think that's the... I don't even have to ask the last question after you said that. (laughs) And that was really... (laughs) You know, that that one thought you leave us with, but you just got... You giving it all to us. I can't wait to see you speak in person because there is so much that's there. And just reading about you and watching you and connecting with you, I'm just like, man, so well, all that you have gotten, all that you've received, so well deserved. There's so much life in you. And I'm waiting for the book, too. So that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Listen, I, I need I'm to get say. some tips from you. I need to get those <laughs> tips from you. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. We got to sit down and talk. I'm just saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm working. I, I'll say that, you know, I, I'm again, I'll, I'll you know close with this. I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled, you know, by, by everything. It's in the people that I've had an opportunity to meet and speak with. 
you know, individuals such as yourself, you know, who, who you know, okay. you're out here hustling and doing your thing and, and, and putting people like myself, you know, on this podcast and sharing our story. And it, there's such beauty in hearing other people's stories. Like, oh, I love yes. listening to people's stories. And even when I speak to students, like, tell me your story. You know, you've heard yes. mine. Great. I want to hear yours. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is, this is a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, I'm, Again, looking forward to you know to where this goes, and you know bringing everyone along uh, on this journey with me. Oh, that's so fun! I know there are going to be people who want to connect with you. So, can you tell us where in the internet space can they find you so that they can follow and and just be as a in awe of of you as I am? Even with you planting in your garden, and it's just so much about you. I'm like, he is just so outstanding. <laughs> He's so awesome. But you you inspire me, and it's, to be honest with you, it's not too often that I feel much inspired by others or other things. I know that probably sounds a little bit crazy, but I have to really like fall into something. You know, people see celebrities, oh, I'm so I'm so inspired. I'm like, no, it's real people. It's authentic people. It's everyday people that inspire me most. And you are absolutely, you know, one of those. And that's not dim your light, but you are touchable. That's what I'm saying. You're somebody who I'm having this conversation with. You're not too big to be, oh, I ain't got time for that. You know, you, you are connected and you're really down to earth. And, and I see the work you're doing and I'm in amazement of it and I'm grateful for it. But but yeah, look, all that again is to say, where can we stay connected? Where can where can the family find you? Yeah, so check me out. Uh, my website is prisinspiresyou.com, C-H-R-I-S-I-N-S-P-I-R-E-S-Y-O-U.com or my handle on Instagram and Facebook at Chris Inspires You. Absolutely. And then so you have the documentary, anytime. the documentary. I have the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we're not gonna forget about one. that. I tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So we have part one of the documentary. You didn't come this far just to come this far, which is a twelve-minute mm-hmm. documentary, which highlights my upbringing uh, in poverty, my connection to service, my motivational or inspirational speaking platform. I should say. I'm sorry, and uh, it, it <laughs> highlights those things. And so it's uh, it's a really it's a riveting piece. It's, it's a piece that uh, will will grab your attention. That is on my website you can check that out part two of the documentary you didn't come this far just to come this far is going to be released on november the 15th i will not give away what that documentary is going to highlight but it's going to be a must watch so you definitely have to follow me on social media on on instagram visit my website uh facebook and 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 however else you want to to you know connect with me i'm very open and i'd love to connect with you and, and hear your stories as well but definitely you know keep chris inspires you in mind and and follow chris inspires you and, and see the work that i'm doing and hopefully there's an opportunity uh for us to connect at some point Well, Chris, again, thank you so very much. Wishing you nothing but the best of luck in all that you do going forward. And your time is just so appreciated. I'm so fangirling right now. So, um, but thank you again. Thank you so very much. And wishing you again, just wishing you nothing but the best. I appreciate that, Dr. Eve. 